0: MotoGP 2020 continues to be a whirlwind of drama, action, new winners, suspense and now another new MotoGP victor, making it nine different winners from 12 races with still two to go. Spaniard Juan Mir won a tense Valencia MotoGP race and became MotoGP's fifth new winner this year after Quattararo, Binder, Oliveira and Morbidelli. Are Suzuki now out of sight in all three MotoGP World Championships? Well, let's just go back a step first off, shall we? They've been in MotoGP since the start of the four-stroke era when it started at Suzuka in 2002. I know they were in the the two-stroke era before then, but let's just concentrate on the four-stroke era. They stayed in the class until the end of 2011, until they had a three-year break due to tough circumstances mainly caused by the prolonged recession in developed countries and a historical appreciation of Japanese yen and repeated natural disasters. Those were their words from the factory, so they stood back. They then returned with a new GSX-RR and a new team structure with Davide Brivio leading the squad. They won a race in their second season, that was Silverstone 2016 with Vinales, but then they went into the wilderness with a wrong call on an engine spec. But... Have they pulled it back together? They had two wins last year, 2019, both from Rins, brilliantly against Marquez in Texas and at Silverstone. But into 2020, the signs were there after a pre-season tests, but no one knew it would be quite the open goal without Marc Marquez in 2020. So here they are in their sixth GP season, in their current iteration and on the cusp of a MotoGP clean sweep. Juan Mir has finally won a race in the top class, but not winning huge numbers of races should never be held against people. That's just my view. And I say that because Nicky Hayden only ever won three MotoGP races and yet was a world champion and a hugely respected sportsman. Simon Patterson joins me now. Simon, let's get straight into it. Did it matter if Juan Mir didn't win in 2020? Does it matter that he does now?
1: The only reason it matters now is to shut up all the people that said it didn't matter before. Uh, he, We all know that he had a win in him. We all knew that he should have won in Austria until that red flag came out and ended an incredible charge at the front of the race. And we all know that he's going to win more races down the line because... Let's be completely honest, one mere is not winning the 2020 MotoGP GP World Championship because Mark Marquez isn't here and it's a bit of a strange year. He's winning it because he's an incredibly fast motorbike racer on an excellent bike. This is just the start, you know. I we, we talked about this in a podcast in July about what this championship without Mark Marquez meant. And I said back then that that what it meant was there would always be maybe an asterisk against someone's name if they won it, and it was their only championship win. But if one of the kids, Mir, Rins, Cuadraro, Bender, if one of them won it, it would be the start of a new era, and they'd go on to win more. That's exactly
0: what we're seeing. On lap 17, Rins went wide, Mir got ahead. Rins had the wherewithal by going wide to bang it down the gearbox into second to get it stopped. I offered the opinion at the time that it looked a very easy pass for Mir, whisper it team orders but Rin still has a chance of the championship so the reason I said that at the time was Suzuki cannot mess this up they're in their 100th anniversary year of being reorganized incorporated and capitalized back in Japan and Brevio the team boss knows that they still could have lost it with three to go and indeed technically even now Simon with two races still to go they could still lose it and i say that in inverted commas so was there a deal done fortunately we'll never know and actually i don't want to know one person i did ask was jeremy mcwilliams he said most riders will struggle at giving up a place for a team order and if they do they will do it publicly they will pull over they will make it obvious but upon reflection after the race when i saw the two suzuki guys on the cooling down lap they were They're genuinely happy for each other, aren't they? Almost yesterday, more so Rins towards Mia, knowing that his mate Mia has got that winning feeling inside him. There's a very special connection there.
1: Yeah, they've built a very close team there. Obviously, there's going to be a little bit of, of, you know, acrimosity because they're competing against each other and that's racing. But, um, yeah, I, I think... Rins is aware of the, not the pressure, but the criticism that Mir has come under this year for not being a race winner. He's aware that he should have been a race winner, like we've already said. And I think, you know, like most of the paddock, actually, like most of the other racers in the championship, they kind of realized that Mir's is probably going to win the title this year and they wanted him to get that duck off the back because none of them would like to be in their, you know, in his position. If there's one thing that racers are actually quite good at emotionally, it's putting themselves into the shoes of other racers because it's kind of all they know. So, um, yeah, I think I think that there's there's no bad feeling there. Um, and and you know the Suzuki camp is uh it's a happy family. Spoke last night after the race to team boss Davide Brivio, and he said just just on that, he said that he was fairly confident that given how strong Mir looked all race and how strong he looked at the end of the race um go and have a look at his race pace it's incredible there's like 0.3 of a difference for 27 laps it it, it's robotic almost it's Jorge Lorenzo-esque and Brivio said given that speed he's confident that if Mir had wanted to get past Rins before that he would have If it was someone who wasn't his teammate, he would have forced a much more aggressive move and cleared off earlier in the race. But because it was his teammate, he kind of just waited until the door was opened a little bit to play it safe. And then Rins made a tiny mistake.
0: The door was opened. Off we went. Looks like Brevio is going to be a team uh, principal who's going to win a MotoGP World Championship in two in two camps because okay he wasn't quite team principal at Yamaha with Valentino days but you know that's Lynn Jarvis's job but it was as good as certainly team manager so you know that experience that he's got I mean it goes back and back and back and back and back and that level-headed it, maturity and as I've said in a podcast before he's literally got that invisible book and he can leaf through it to page 493 and go Yes, tried that back in 95, didn't work, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, particularly with some of the youthful racers that he's got around him. So level head. Uh, Team, uh, he had a a heart monitor on him yesterday, genius call by one of the guys at uh, at Dawner TV, but the pictures of him with his head in his hand with three or four right, oh, laps to go. And I thought, oh, that's a horrible <laughs> feeling. We've all been there in different walks of life. It's awful. He he was quite calm about it afterwards.
1: He'd, he'd got his, his emotions in check by the time we spoke to him last night and was kind of
0: saying, ah, you know, still no different from any other race, really, whenever you've got these two riding for you. As I said, on the cooling down lap, they, they, they congratulated each other, the, the, the air that the pair of them had in Park Ferme after the race just really brought home to me that they're just good guys going races and to going racing and to, to further introduce you to Juan Mir, he did say on the Dorna feed, you know, if I win it, it will be super good. If I don't win it, it'll also be good. But there are people who cannot pay their rent because of the current conditions, meaning Corona. There are people who cannot bring food back home. This is real pressure that is actually not good. What a level-headed, feet-on-the-ground guy. That's him in a nutshell, really. He,
1: he is seemingly completely immune to pressure. He is very good at applying psychological pressure to his rivals, but at the same time he's aware that you know it's only motorbike racing. It's a, it's a fairly unique blend actually. It's not really something we see you know a lot of motorbike racers tend to think motorbike racing is the be-all and end-all. There is nothing else in the world but motorbike racing. and it's it's yeah, it's quite
0: refreshing to see one who doesn't quite see the world that way. He's very it'll do him well down the line. He's very Nicky Hayden actually. He's very Nicky Hayden. Yeah. And it will uh, it will be very interesting to see uh, what these next week couple of weeks bring for him and uh, and the world around him. Well, Wow, Suzuki, they are on the cusp of something very, very big. At least they can now, Simon, get the T-shirts printed and they can now book the restaurant for the party. <laughs> I think it's pretty well a given on Sunday, but it is 2020, you never know. Yeah, let's uh, let's never
1: rule out the ups and downs of this year. Um, thankfully, it, it is all but a given. Um, I think Cuadraro and Rins would need to either win a race They'd need to win one race and finish third or fourth maybe in the next one out of the two remaining races to have any chance of uh, of taking the title off. Mathematically, very, very challenging. You can't see Corderaro managing it at all, given the current Yamaha issues. Rins might be able to put up a bit of an effort, but the problem is he, he needs Mir to not be there to do that. You know, he, he can win both races and Mir can... Cruise round in fifth place and still win the title though. Like, it's a, a sort of a mirror image in terms of pressure, isn't it? All of the pressures on his rivals, despite him being the one on the line to win a
0: championship. And some of those rivals, they've just given up. They've they verbally they've given up. So just to to reiterate what Simon was saying a moment ago, Juan Mia. 37-point lead over Fabio Quattararo and Alex Rins. Quattararo gets the tie-break at the moment on second place because he's had more victories in 2020. 37-point lead. There's 25 points available for a victory. So 25 and another 12. 13 points for fourth place. As you say, it's a, it's a win and a fourth with mere non-scoring in the final two Grand Prix. And let's just keep our fingers crossed and hope that Porto Mayo, the final race in the middle of November, does actually happen. Long story on that one. So, yeah, uh, let's see how that one pans out. Yamaha, we did a a news podcast on Friday night, uh, Valencia 1, covering the bombshell that Yamaha had been using valves, not to the exact same specification in their engines throughout the year then come the grand prix itself they had well a complete hole in the ground open up in front of them i don't think it could have got any worse for them yesterday could it uh no probably not
1: could it <laughs> <At> yamaha's <laughs> weekend this has been a complete and utter disaster i can't imagine i can't remember the last time that a, a factory went into a race and had such a terrible weekend in every single way. They lost half the garage to COVID, including team boss, Merrick Merigale. They lost the lead in two championships, constructors and teams. They lost uh, an engine, a pit lane start for, for Maverick Vinales. They lost, in theory, the 2020 MotoGP world title for not one but two
0: riders, arguably because of things that Yamaha did and not things the riders did. Quattro in the race, He said, I just had to check my speed, but he was at full angle after an interesting pass from Alecia Spagaro. Spagaro fell off, Quattararo, whoa, 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 and he was down as well. There was no contract, but it was a Spagaro in my eyes, well, being just a Spagaro. Rossi, the engine just stopped. They said it was a fuel pump. Vinales, as you say, Simon had to start from the pit lane. He's said after the race i'm fighting for the win one weekend and then i'm fighting from the pit lane the next maybe next weekend will be more difficult but there is nothing new to try and morbidelli and this really sort of shocked me when i read it was he had the same front tire pressure increase like quateraro had at aragon because it was a lot warmer as the as the race went on that's not good it's not
1: good although uh part of that is a little bit of typical rider deflection i think because you really do have to ask why he decided to go hard hard on the tire options when practically no one else was doing the same thing uh there was a lot of strange glances at the tire sheet whenever michelin announced that he was using that option um it was largely untried it wasn't warm enough for it and it it just didn't work you know um So that's, that's lesson learned for next weekend. I think we'll see him be stronger next weekend, even if the other Yamahas are expecting to struggle a bit more just because, uh, he's learned from his tire, you know, from, from that issue, what they're struggling with, um, especially in harder tires is the, you know, I call it the Honda problem. It's you get stuck behind another rider coming through the pack. There isn't enough cool air hitting the front tire. The front tire temperature increases. That makes the air pressure inside it increase. Your hard tire turns to concrete, and you just can't tip into a corner. It's why Cal Crutchlow uh, is so fast when he's at the front of a race, and then gets catches someone and crashes. Although Honda seemed to have dialed that problem out a little bit, which is uh, much to the relief of uh, everyone apart from Cal Crutchlow's orthopedic surgeon. Maybe
0: they don't have front tire temperature sensors, do they? Yeah, they do. Oh, they do. They, uh, okay.
1: Yeah, they. It, different teams do it in different ways i know that honda have a light that comes on in the dash whenever uh it goes above the the area they want it to be and they get a bbbbb on the dash to to sort of let them know that they need to cool it off a little
0: bit can you look into that increase in tire temperature when they come up behind a rider we'll be interested to hear that and people will be interested to listen to to what that answer is in a, in a podcast in the future i'll leave that absolutely with you. i'll leave that with you So, uh, coming back to Yamaha, the the protocol rulebook, in inverted commas, came into conversation on Thursday and Friday that got Yamaha the penalty. Yamaha uh, manufacturers and the two teams, they got the penalty, but not the riders. Was there any advance on that over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday? Uh, Not really. A little bit. We, We spoke a little bit to some team bosses over the weekend who...
1: Difficult to get and understand. And there was a meeting of the Motorcycle Sports Manufacturers Association, the, the Teams Association, just before the FIM hearing uh on Thursday. We we've learned that. And it seems like there was a bit of bartering and a bit of negotiation done at that, where the penalty was almost decided before the court case was heard. Um, call it a plea bargain, if you will. And no one can quite figure out yet whose decision it was to only, or whose suggestion it was to only penalise Yamaha the team and Yamaha the constructor, as opposed to penalising the riders as well. Now, there is an argument, I have no proof for this at all, I'm only speculating widely, that for a couple of the manufacturers, that's not actually the worst thing that could happen. Because, say you're Ducati, and you've just sacked the guy that's fighting for the championship for you. Do you really want him to win the championship this year, or would you rather get to the end of the year, lose the riders' championship, but be able to say, "Ah, we're the team's champion. We're the manufacturers' champion. Look at the things we've won this year with all of our riders." So yeah, there's a little bit of intrigue and in politics and and backstabbing and manipulation going on there with with what exactly happened. But apart from that, largely Yamaha. You know, took it on the chin, what had happened. I think they were lucky to get away with it, not having the riders penalized. Everyone in the paddock agrees with that. Uh, Suzuki boss Davide Brivio essentially said if a Yamaha rider wins this championship, there will be a shadow over it. There will be an asterisk next to it because they did do it by, you know, scoring a lot of points at the first round with an illegal engine. But he chose not to appeal because he says Suzuki wants to win a clean title they don't want to have any mark against them at the end of this and, and let's be honest after what we saw on Sunday it's probably how it's going to go anyway isn't it
0: Lin Jarvis he said some words on Saturday afternoon and he was very down to earth and he was very succinct to the point and as you say he took it on the chin it was don't hide don't shy away don't point fingers we've been busted that was it I won't say busted, that's almost too strong a word, and I hope that you agree with me, Simon, but it was a, I'm gonna go with a genuine misunderstanding. Um, you know, people do move suppliers, suppliers go bust, they they don't have the facility to do it, they maybe don't do such short production runs for customers, people move around. You know, here we are, you know, based in the UK, there is a, you know, a seven, eight billion pound motorsport Silicon Valley, in and around Silverstone, Oxfordshire, Berkshire, wherever. And there are a lot of suppliers there, but they can't do everything all of the time, particularly in these this COVID world. People are going bust. They've got no workforce, et cetera, et cetera. So he took it on the chin. Uh, how did you think that he took it on the chin? What was your impression?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know it, it's Lynn Jarvis. He's the master politician of MotoGP. So he was always going to be able to uh, craft a statement that you know, made Yamaha come out of it with people feeling a little bit sorry for them rather than people coming out of it, pointing the finger and screaming that their rider should should have had their points taken off them. That's exactly what we expect of Lynn. But um, yeah, he, he was honest. He explained the situation. And like you, I think it was probably a genuine mistake from uh, from what we can gather. They switched manufacturers. They give manufacturer b the specification that manufacturer a had been using but maybe the specification wasn't written well enough or it wasn't an intentional an intentional chance opportunity to gain advantage it just happened
0: and you know saying as much is pretty much all they can do isn't it it is indeed he's had some good days there but that wasn't a good day uh this weekend but uh he, wh- whatever happens when he comes to retirement age, he can always uh, remember he is the man who signed Valentino Rossi twice. <laughs> 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 so uh, KTM, two years after their first MotoGP GP podium, they had a podium in the dry for Polis Bargaro. Uh, he was almost deflated in his body language after the brilliant poll that he had the day before on Saturday. A huge step up for them. Ahead of all the Hondas, ahead of all the Yamahas, he said after the race, I rode the wheels off it. But those two Suzuki guys, they were just, just quicker. He's got two more races to crack that duck with the Austrians, hasn't he? Do you think he can do it? No. (laughs) In a nutshell, no. No. I think
1: uh, he's going to get to Valencia next weekend. He's going to discover that the Suzuki's are just as fast. He's not going to be able to touch them again next weekend. Mir's going to win the title. Everything's going to be lovely. We're going to go to Portimao. And I genuinely think that something insane is going to happen in Portimao. Just because the circuit, the nature of it, the fact that it's an unknown. We're going to see like Valentino Rossi or Tito Rabat or, you know,
0: someone like that's going to win there. Just, just, it would be the perfect end of this year, wouldn't it? With those blind crests, um, it's like the Nordschleifer, the green hell that's without the fog, the mist, the snow, and the rain down there. Yeah, those blind crests <laughs> are something else. Uh, Brad Binder always goes quicker on the second weekend of these 2020 double headers. Yeah. Um, is he upbeat to do better than the seventh he had yesterday after the long lap penalty? Absolutely. I think uh if, if
1: he'd qualified a little better and he'd not had the long lap penalty, then I don't think we'd be talking about Paul Espagaro being on the podium for KTM. We'd have been talking about Brad Bender being on the podium for KTM because that's the sort of pace he had. Uh, he, yeah, like you say, he, you know, he's a rookie. These back-to-back races are perfect for him because it gives him a chance to learn. He's going to come out next weekend even faster he's going to qualify a little bit better because that's what we've seen traditionally with him he's not going to have a penalty because he didn't do a a single thing wrong in somebody's race and
0: uh, he's going to not be at the front but he's going to be closer to the sharp end honda pretty well invisible for all sorts of reasons yesterday what was the vibe out of their camp quiet day really um you know, we, we've very much seen that they are
1: another manufacturer that goes better in the second weekend at the minute, just because the bike is seemingly so difficult to set up, you know, crash for Cal Crutchlow, crash for Alex Marquez, Stefan Bradle at the back, Taken Akagami doing the Taken Akagami thing and just quietly scoring good points, but not setting, not setting the world on fire while doing it. Um, Yeah, another rather uneventful day for Honda. We've had a few good rounds for them recently, but we're kind of back to where we were, you know, Barcelona time, aren't we? It's kind of just getting on with the
0: job now. I think I might need to rephrase my words in the question, quiet day, and and maybe we need to have a little bit of humble pie. You know, a fourth position for Taka Nakagami, that's equal best finish for him this year. So, uh, But as you say, it was almost invisible with the focus that we had at the front of the race. I'll word it that way. I'll word it that way.
1: Yeah. And and it's probably worth saying that, you know, you say equal best of the year, which is all well and good. But last weekend, he was on the pole position front row, going to win the race. Everybody's pre-race favorite. Huge amount of buzz and excitement about him. And then this weekend, there was just none of that. He he never
0: looked like he was going to challenge for a podium. Talking about invisible, Davizioso, uh, more, yeah, well, what can I say? What can I say? What did he say?
1: <laughs> <sighs> uh, very little, really. He sort of went back to, his usual, you know, I can't use this bike. I can't use this tire. I don't really know what we're going to do until we can fix those things. Let's be honest, at this point now with two races to go, they're not going to fix it. <sighs> yeah he sounds like a man defeated mm. you know he sounds like someone that's just dumb he's just seeing out his time until uh the end of the year so that he can go home and ride motocross bikes all winter and see what
0: happens next year what word of him i don't know going to a aprilia test rider or yamaha test rider what is there's a few test rider
1: options yamaha have
0: expressed
1: some interest Honda have expressed some interest. KTM have expressed some interest. We know he's at least been talking to all of them, but nothing's signed. Nothing's finalised. Nothing's any closer to being announced. And it's you know it's it's almost certain now we won't see him in the grid next year, at least in a permanent role.
0: What a sad end if that's the case. What a sad end. Um, that's just my opinion, um, but yeah. So close for those three years, second in the world championship only to Marc Marquez, and it's all fizzled away. Uh, talking about fizzling away, what about Lorenzo? What's any word from Spain or should I say Switzerland about what Lorenzo's <laughs> going to do in the future? He's he's been making it quite clear that
1: he would quite like to ride a MotoGP bike next year in one way, shape, or form. There is, of course, one space left on the grid now. There is. Space at Aprilia because regardless of what people tell you about Andrea Iononi right now he is not able to ride next year. Let's you know let's get that very, very straight. Uh so there is a spot there. They've talked to Davizioso, they've talked to Crutchlow. Lorenzo has admitted this week that he's interested in talking to them and that they've had some conversations. It, there would be quite a nice sort of full circle story to it, wouldn't there, for him to come back to Aprilia, the manufacturer he won two world championships with. And, and you know, when you walk into the, when you walk in the front door of their racing department, Noale, there's an Aprilia Cube, there's a Jorge Lorenzo 250, and there's a Marco Simicelli 250. He is still very highly thought of there. Um, yeah, stranger things have happened. And it's a bike, it's a bike that's that's quite stable, quite smooth. Not the
0: fastest in the world to bike that would suit him quite well. He's got it. if he goes there, he's got to have the mindset of do you know what? I'm taking a pay cut. I'm with the underdog here. Let's dig in and work and see what I can do with my experience rather than please pay me 12.5 million and a half million euros that he got at Ducati, which people still can't catch their breath over. If it's true, if it's true, <laughs> and I'm breaking a rule there, my own self-imposed rule of talking about salaries, um, so yeah, he's got to take that kind of attitude. If he goes, I just think it would be a shame for him to fizzle away. Um, I, but the Mayo test hardly did him any favours. Yeah, the the Portimao test was obviously
1: it was like three and a half seconds off the pace of the fast guys, but. I think his problem is that he, he was told at the start of the year by Yamaha, that you know we're in this COVID world. We're not going to be doing any testing this year. We don't need you anymore. And he took his foot off the gas. He enjoyed a few beers with dinner. He had a burger now and again, and he wasn't risk fit. Then suddenly they phoned him up and said, you need to be on the bike in two weeks. And he went, oh, oh, oh okay. And that was after a <laughs> couple of burgers. Oh. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, he, he he properly got thrown into the deep end there because all the guys that he's up against, you know, Stefan Brattle has done more of this season than uh, Mark Marquez. Uh, Sylvain Guntoli has been riding on a regular basis for Suzuki. You know, all these guys are fit, healthy, riding fast, consistently. And then Lorenzo suddenly was told, yeah, we know you haven't been in a MotoGP bike in eight months, but you've got two weeks to get ready for it. So, you know,
0: here we go. Exactly. Bit of a in-at-the-deep-end job. And also, Danny Pedrosa, he was at Jerez only last week with KTM. So, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, other news coming out of the Valencia one weekend that Valentino Rossi's half-brother, Luca Marini, will go into MotoGP next year into essentially the Ducati Esparo sponsorama <laughs> squad with the vr46 mechanics coming with him nice bit of full circle symmetry there for valentino um let's see how they get on
1: who'd have ever thought in 2013 that valentino rossi would be uh both a, still a motor gp racer in 2021 and a, a ducati motor gp team boss? Eh. <laughs> yeah
0: after the Ducati, two years oh my uh, goodness me i mean i'll give him his due at the time he didn't <laughs> have put a brave face on it and he <laughs> never slung him under the bus but we all knew yeah
1: but uh, mm. this is this is a sensible deal for both sides um it gives him a way to get a space onto the grid it uh you know by partnering up with the sponsorama guys luca is obviously deserving of a MotoGP gp seat we've seen that from both on the track and off the track this year at Moto 2. He's fast, he's consistent, he's a super intelligent guy. Um, and, it, you know, he's big and he's tall. He's got long levers that will go well in a Ducati Moto GP bike. So, now it fits for everyone. And uh, it's it's a, a good signing. Uh, you know, equally, Ania Bastianini on the other side of the garage, who will run under their sponsorama colors next year, has also had a, a great year in Moto2. Things have finally clicked for him. And and we've seen this before, haven't we? A rider that has maybe spent a few years in, a, in Moto2 without ever really showing any potential. Then suddenly things click for them. And the, the you know, the best thing to do is to immediately put them in a GP bike. Fabio Cuadraro is is the you know the perfect example of that isn't it so um no i, I think that's a, a good lineup for both
0: of those teams or for well i say both of those teams both of those sides of the same team perhaps and regarding luca marini uh, with his instagram feed i'm sure he has melted the hearts of most of the female of the species so uh... <laughs> i have i have uh i have friends <laughs> who spend extensive <laughs> amounts of time
1: just talking about luca marini's hair <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did notice that when he was in the garage after the motor two race yesterday and no jokes about my hair, please. So there you go. Um, <laughs> although,
1: although he isn't perfect, go and have a look at BSB race or Danny Bucken's Twitter feed. If you want a bit of a laugh. Okay. <laughs> I'll
0: leave it at that. There is your mission for the week coming back to, to motor GP and and again being serious. Uh Marquez, it's all gone a bit quiet. What's on the jungle drums?
1: Yeah, it's all gone very quiet, hasn't it? Um, we've had no word of how he is for ooh, since the Barcelona race. So some five weeks now since we've had any update from from Honda. There's still rumors floating around that maybe there's a second or third surgery needed. Um he's been posting lots of pictures on Instagram to try and convince of Convince us of how fit and healthy he is, but there's a noticeable difference in the size of his two forearms, you know, that, that muscle mass just isn't coming back very quickly, which is maybe indicative of him not doing very much heavy training, but, um, for me, the most telling thing is that we've yet to see a photograph of him riding a motorbike.
0: Yeah. Well, he's got to be very careful. That was one of the things that the doctors said right at the beginning is, is this has sure. got to be right. Sure. Otherwise, and we mentioned it at the time in late July, early August, if you do hurt yourself again, then you are in real trouble with the nerves in your arm and they might be broken permanently. So, okay, well, let's keep mm-hmm. our fingers crossed and see what he can do. Very much doubt that he'll be back this year. So let's see what he can do for yeah, I think it's all but a given Know that he exactly. won't be back exactly. this year. Exactly, Let's we see what see he can do for 2021. For 2021. Um, uh, Valencia, if I could be polite, uh, not the most popular of circuits with teams, the Paddock Circus. Uh, why do I say that? We go there at the wrong end of the year. You get there in the dark, you leave in the dark, it's, it's cold. You can have some warm, bright, sunny days, but in the shadows, it's still very cold. It's at the end of the season, and particularly this season. Okay, we haven't had the flyaways, but we've had this difficult run of races. So the question is, well, what's the atmosphere like in the paddock? Flat, to be perfectly honest. Everyone, like you say,
1: everyone hates Valencia. Let's not sugarcoat it. Uh, No one enjoys coming here. It's dull racing. It's not very... You know, There's not much atmosphere even when there are fans. It feels like a preseason t- or like that post-season test that we do, where everyone is still a little bit hungover from the Sunday night and just really, really wants to go home and see their families because they've been in the road for ten weeks. That's that's kind of where we are this weekend, and um I don't really know how that's going to improve in the second weekend. I'll be honest. I'm quite glad we're going to Portimao the week after because a, a new circuit in the sun, that everybody's really excited to see MotoGP bikes. That's really going to lift the mood in the paddock. And it's actually the perfect place to finish this year's calendar, uh, simply for that reason, simply, you know, to give people a little bit of look forward to. But, um, yeah, I think it'll just be a case of grit and teeth, bearing it and getting mm. through a second weekend in Valencia.
0: But, you know, we've got a lot to talk about and we've got a potential new world champion. So that's the uh, the positive that I'm taking from this, this 2020 season. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, our next MotoGP podcast will be next week after the second Valencia race. 12 down, two to go in 2020. Keep in touch with our Twitter accounts at WeAreTheRace for the-race.com with all of our MotoGP gp news formula one news etc myself is at toby moody simon is at denk and for our technical podcasts it is at Spalders from motogptechnology.com. do like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from thank you for joining us as this MotoGP gp season is on the cusp of crowning a new world champion and a well-spoken, mature, graceful sportsman. Juan Mia, it's all yours for the taking.